Good morning. Welcome to Northwest. So excited to be with you here this morning. This morning's message, I was given the freedom to choose whatever I wanted to preach on, which is a dangerous thing. Uh, it's a good thing. Um, we're not in a series right now. We are, um, we're just kind of, we got a week and I get to preach this week on what God's just been teaching me and some things he's been challenging me with, kind of convicting my, my heart uh, with. And so I wanted to share that with you. I think it's really important that we uh, as a body hear this passage and are reminded of what Jesus calls us to as followers of his. And so I hope that this morning is encouraging yet challenging to all of us here. I tend to make decisions without thinking through things all the way. I endeavored to build a massive 500 square foot deck in our backyard a few years back. And um, I've never built anything. I think I probably used one of these saws once or twice in my life. And I hammered some nails, but that's about it. And I'm like, ah, how hard could it be? But I sat down and I said, okay, um, how much is this going to cost? How long will this take me? Um, it took me about three times as long as I thought. Um, what is it going to require of me? You know, how much time, energy, sweat, physical pain is this going to require? And about halfway through, I'm like, it's not worth it. Let's just leave these giant posts sticking out of the ground, and they can be like a Ninja Warrior course for the girls, because <laughs> I don't want to do it anymore. And, um, but we keep on going, and we finish this deck, and now when it's warm enough out, we spend every waking moment on that thing. So it was well worth it, but I had to sit down. And I had to consider what is this going to cost? What is this going to require of me? And I think that is a very important question that we all ask ourselves when we're faced with any kind of big decision in life is what is this going to cost me? What is this going to require of me? And I'm preparing this week to preach this message and I come across this blog post that I think sums up the heart behind it pretty well. This author is talking about his life in church, and he says, I didn't cuss much. I wasn't sleeping around. I went to church most Sundays. I must be a Christian. I said that Jesus died for my sins. I sang the lyrics on the screen. I prayed before meals. I gave God props for my athletic achievements. I must be a Christian. Sure, God wasn't my all in all. Sure, I never read his word. Sure, I didn't pray very much. Sure, I secretly loved sin, and holiness seemed dreadfully boring. Sure, I rarely owned him in public or spent time with him in private, but he understood. I was only human after all. No one's perfect. And the sad truth in that testimony is that I, I think that this is where a lot of people who claim to be Christians find themselves. Jesus is nothing more than a get-out-of-hell-free card. And uh, once we have that, we just kind of put him on the shelf, and then we enter into complacency. And I don't want that to be true of of myself. I don't want that to be true of anyone in the world who claims to be a follower of Christ. And I especially don't want that to be true of anybody here who's a part of, of Northwest. And so this message kind of speaks to that. Now, listen, right up front, I want to I say this because I don't want you to think, get the wrong idea as, as I talk, that we know that by grace alone, through faith alone, we come to know Christ in a um, in a salvific manner. So we are saved only by the blood of Christ. There's nothing else that we can do. We can't, we can't work hard enough. We can't pay enough money. We can't do anything in and of ourselves to gain salvation, but it's all a free gift. It's, it's grace. Romans 10, 9 tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And we love that. We should love that because that's, that's it. It's a free gift that God offers us, but... 
I fear that some of us may just kind of stop there and we accept what he's given us and then we just kind of do our thing. And that is not what he calls us to. That's not what he requires of us after salvation. A true, genuine encounter with Christ will drastically change our lives. It'll change the way that we live. It'll change the way that we talk. It'll change the way that we interact with people. It'll change the way that we think. We will have no choice but to be different if we have a true face-to-face experience with Christ. We will be different. And that drastic change is so drastic in some situations that people aren't willing to give up what they have going for the sake of Christ. A few years back, I was sitting across the table from a, a high school student at Bojangles, and I just decided that I was just going to share the gospel with this student. And I didn't know him that well, but well enough through some of our students to, um, that he would go to lunch with me. And so I sat him down and I said, look, man, I just, I got to share with you the most important thing I could ever share with, with anybody. So I walked him through the gospel from creation all the way to resurrection. And he's listening very intently. And we get to the, to the end and I, I ask him, I'm like, so what do you think about that, man? And he's like, oh, it sounds really great, but I don't know that I'm willing to give up drinking and partying quite yet. And so his holdup was, well, if, if I do this, that means I got to give up this. And so he wasn't willing to sacrifice, to give up this part of his life to follow Jesus. We see that in Mark 10 with the rich young ruler. We see that he asks Jesus what it would take for him to inherit eternal life. And Jesus tells him to go home, sell everything you have, give all of that to those that are in need. And then once you do that, come and follow me. In other words, It requires great sacrifice if you want to come follow me. And we see in that story that the rich young ruler leaves very saddened because he's not ready to do that. He's kind of distraught, like, oh, I got to do that. And so it doesn't tell us for sure, but the implication in that story would be that he went home and didn't follow Christ. He wasn't willing to give up his possessions. And then you see in, in Matthew 10, Jesus speaks to the disciples talking about relationships and says, if you're going to follow me, then your love for your mother, your father, your sister, and brother cannot even come close to the love that you have for me. Are you willing to give up certain relationships in your life for the sake of following Christ? Are we willing to love him, prioritize him more so than those that are physical, tangible people that are visibly alive, right? We can actually have interaction with. Are we willing to love Jesus who we don't see with our eyes, who's not tangible? We have faith. That's what faith is, right? But we, we can't interact with him on a, on a personal level in that way. And so are we willing to, to love him more than we love our own family? That's gonna, what it's going to require of us to be a follower of his. And then in the passage that we have this morning, Jesus tells his disciples three things that we must do if we're to truly follow him like he intends for us to do. It's a tough passage to chew on because it's going to bring us face to face with a couple of questions. And it did me this week as I was preparing. Am I really a disciple of Christ? Am I really willing to follow Jesus no matter what it might cost me? Am I really willing to do that? It really kind of wrecked me this week as I was studying it, as I was looking at my own life, asking myself those questions. Am I really following him as I should? Am I really willing to go to the cross 
as we'll talk about, for the sake of Jesus. I mean, yeah, I'm a Christian, of course, but I don't want to be nominal. I don't want to be a lukewarm Christian. I don't want to just kind of breeze through. I don't want to be complacent. Jesus says of the lukewarm Christian in Revelation 3 that the lukewarm Christian is so disgusting, Jesus says, that when I taste you, I I spit you out of my mouth. And that word for spit is actually to vomit out. It's a very harsh response to a lukewarm Christian. But Jesus says, it's just disgusting. I, I don't want a lukewarm Christian. I want to either have you on fire for me or just don't live for me at all. But don't just breeze through and be complacent. Jesus says, I don't, that's not what I've called you to. And that is just not my idea of a follower. And I don't, I don't want that to be true of me. I don't want to just cruise through. I want to, I want to exhaust every ounce of my energy for the sake of the gospel so that when I one day come face to face with Jesus, it will be deserved when he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now we don't deserve Christ. We don't deserve heaven. But if I can live every minute for, for him, then that, that response that he gives to me when I enter into his kingdom will be like none other. And that's what I want for myself. And that's what I want for all of you. And so we're going to talk about some of the things that, that we need to, to be doing to truly follow him. So, um, so Mark 8, let's go to Mark chapter 8. In Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 39, we're going to kind of work our way through this passage together. We're going to talk about verses, break them down a little bit. Then we're going to get into the three things that Jesus says should be true of us if we're to truly follow him. Now, listen, discipleship is a process that each of us goes through in this life, and we're all in different stages. We're all in in different kind of on on the same journey, but in different places on that journey. And so uh, discipleship for us is is a long process that we go through. My hope for this morning, honestly, I just, I just want us to be, I just want us to be a little bit better at following Christ than we were when we came in, honestly. I just want us to be challenged to maybe pursue him a little bit harder and uh, to do things a little bit more risky for, for his sake. And that's kind of, that's kind of my hope through the spirit as, uh, as we go through this passage. So we got to start in verse 31 because this verse gives us kind of a, a taste of what we're called to. So here's what it says in verse 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. So Jesus suffered many things. He faces rejection and he ultimately was killed. The suffering that he spoke of wasn't only the suffering that we tend to think of when we think of Christ. Because when we think of Christ's suffering, we think of those final days, right? We think of the physical beating and the the rejection that he faced as he walked with his cross down the, the dusty road. And then as he is lifted up on that cross and the suffering that, that he went through there. But, but Christ suffered all through his ministry on earth. He suffered because um, people stood up against his his teachings and and rejected it and, and mocked him for the things that he was teaching. They compared his miraculous works to the works of Satan. That's persecution. So he suffered a lot of things in his ministry. And then, of course, the culmination of the suffering and the rejection is found in the cross. And to die on the cross was to be despised and rejected by men. So that was the ultimate form of suffering and rejection. But Christ suffered a lot. And so when it says that Christ suffered, We'll get to this, but those are some of the things that he calls us to as well. And then verses 32 and 33. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. 
But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. I thought this was really interesting as I was studying, because there's three things that I kind of found that were interesting, I guess. But the first one, right before this, the conversation that they just had is when Jesus says, who do, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. In other words, you are the anointed one sent from God. You're the Messiah. You are essentially God. But then right here, Peter presumes to know more than Jesus and is basically instructing him on what he needs to do. So that was really interesting. That The change is so quick from, yes, Jesus, to, no, I don't know if that's right. That's not really the will of God. And so we kind of, we kind of can flip-flop as well. The second thing I thought was interesting is in the rebuke, Jesus really does show us his humanity. If you remember back in the desert, when Jesus was being tempted by Satan, three times over, Satan tried to get Jesus to leave the will of the Father. He was tempting Jesus to do something that would have shown Jesus' power, but yet would have, been the, would have been outside the will of God. That's the temptation that Jesus faced by Satan. And then we see later on that as Jesus is facing his betrayal, his arrest, his his suffering, his death on the cross, we see him really struggling with that, right? He prays to God two times, God, if there's another way, let me go that way. If there's another option, I don't wanna do it this way, but I know this is your will. So Jesus is struggling with his humanity and like, I know what this is gonna be like and I, and I don't wanna do it, but I know it's necessary. I know it's God, what God's called me to. And so when Peter goes, no, you, you're not gonna suffer. You're not gonna die. Jesus hears that same voice in Peter that he heard in the desert when Satan was tempting him. So when he says, get behind me, Satan, it's because it's a very real temptation that Jesus has been struggling through that Peter is trying to take him out of the will of God. And then the third thing, the very important statement that Jesus makes is you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So we need to remember that statement as we move forward that we need to have our minds set on the things of God and not on the things of man. Now we move into verse 34, and this is where we find our three actions that must be true of us. It must be a reflection of our saving relationship with Jesus. It's gotta be something that's evidence in our life of our standing with Christ. And uh, these things don't determine our salvation, but if we look at our lives and see that we don't have these things necessarily true of us, we have to ask ourselves the question, why are these not true? Do I really understand what it means to follow Jesus like he intended? And that's the question that we want to kind of be faced with. So the first thing, um, well, actually, let's read verse 34, and you'll see the three things, and then I'll give you the first point. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So there's your three points. But number one is, he says, deny himself. So we're going to say, deny yourself. So number one, he says, if anyone would come after me, in other words, if you want to follow me, you must do these things. These must be true of you, okay? Deny yourself. Now, when I was in high school, parents, don't get mad that I'm going to tell you some stories with your students in here. They know most of them anyway, so it's all good. Um, I don't condone this, by the way. Don't do what I, don't do what I do. When I was in high school, just, it's crazy the things that we did. I, I didn't have Netflix. If you wanted to watch a show, you, you had the VCR and the VHS tape, and you recorded it. And then you would fast forward commercials, and um, it, was, it was terrible looking back, but that's, that's all you knew. So, hey, you want to watch a show? Put the, put the VHS tape and the VCR, and you're good to go. Uh, there weren't smartphones. In high school, I had a pager, and you would page numbers that had certain messages attached to them. Okay, no smartphones. 
I didn't have video games that you could put a headset on and talk to your friends at their house. And there was, there just, it wasn't that kind of social, wasn't that kind of lack of social abilities, <clears throat> um, culture. Um, so we had to get creative. And I wasn't like, I wasn't into the party scene. Like I just, I just, I wasn't for me. And so we had to get really creative with what we did on the weekends and usually ended in pain, sometimes ER visits. That's just kind of, if you weren't going to get hurt, it wasn't worth it. That's kind of our, that was our motto. So sitting on the hood of a car going through a car wash, probably not the best idea. You know, we would, we would get shopping carts and we'd find these, you know, like you guys been to Bond Park, that giant hill, grass hill. We'd get shopping carts and sit in them and see who could get the farthest down the hill before flipping out. Like, that's just kind of what we did. Emergency room, all the time. Um, but I never had that voice in my head going, you know what, Adam, probably not the best idea. I didn't ever have that internal, like, discernment going, no, you shouldn't do that. Right? Here's what you want to do, but ah, not a good idea. Don't do that. I never had that voice that was telling me that. In fact, I was the voice that was telling everyone else to do it, even if their voice was saying, don't do it. Um, I was the strongest voice of the group. So I never had that, like, internal, that internal voice um, inside of myself. But so what does it mean to, to deny ourselves? It means that we say no to ourselves. It means that we are saying no to our desires. In context of this passage, it means that we are completely disowning our old self. So not just saying no to ourselves, but it's disowning the person that we used to be before Christ. The word that's used here is the same word that we see used when Peter denies Jesus three times as Jesus is at, uh, at trial before the high priest. We see Peter denying him, no, I don't know that man. No, I do not know that man. No, I don't know him. That denial, the no, I do not know him is the same denial that we see Peter calling us, or Jesus calling us to here. No, I do not know that man. One example of this is in Colossians 3, Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. When we deny ourselves, we are saying no to that old self. We are saying that that person is so distant that they are foreign to me. I don't know that person anymore. But that's not as easy as it sounds, right? We, we struggle with flesh and, and, and spirit and that, that tension that's there. In Luke 9.57, if you guys want to turn over to Luke chapter 9, I'm going to read a few verses here too. But Luke 9.57 through 62 gives us some, some illustrations that I think can speak true to us in our struggle to give things up and deny ourselves. So Luke 9.57 through 62, we see three instances of someone wanting to follow Jesus but not really being willing to do what's necessary. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And we don't see what happens with that person, but the implication from these three verses is that they, um, they weren't willing to do that. V 59 says to another, he says, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus, hey, I really want to follow you. I do. I want to follow you, but 
I really need to take care of a few things first. First, let me just, let me get a bunch of money into my retirement account, make sure that I'm good for the rest of my life, make sure I'm set up, and then once I have that, then I'll give to those that are in need. Let me, uh, let me first experience high school for all that it has to offer, and then I'll follow you. Let me, let me experience college for all that it is, and then I'll follow you. It's like we, we, we give our, our stipulations to God. Like, I, I'll follow you, but first, I just got to take care of a few things. I got to do this first. I want to enjoy this first. I want to experience this first. And then I'll come and follow you. That's not self-denial. That's not the kind of denying ourselves that Jesus is talking about in Mark chapter 8. Denying ourselves is saying no to anything and everything that would be self-serving, self-seeking, and self-centered. It's saying no to those sinful desires that pull us in every direction and just constantly every day, no, no, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to let that influence me. No, I'm not going to go that route. No, I'm not going to do this. If we're living in such a way that we're always just thinking about our own profit, our own comfort, our own ease, our own security, we're not really living in such a way that is denying ourselves We have to be willing to abandon our safety, to abandon our security, to abandon our personal resources, our health, our job, maybe friends, uh, even our life if we're to follow him. To deny everything about us so that we can follow Christ, that's what he's calling us to. But it's a daily thing. You have to always be saying no to self. No, I'm not going to let this influence or take me in the direction that's not honoring and glorifying to God. And only when we begin to place Jesus as our highest priority and deny ourselves, then we're ready for the next statement that he makes. When we're finally saying, you know what, I'm going to deny myself, everything is about Christ, then he says, bear your cross or take up your cross. It's point number two, take up your cross. This is a tough one for me to talk about because the cross is my salvation, but the cross is horrible. And when I think about Jesus and I think about a cross, that is really, really tough for me. Historically, after a condemned man was scourged with a whip that was embedded with nails or pieces of glass ripping skin and flesh, he dragged the cross beam of his own cross to the place of punishment. The upright was usually already fixed in the ground and the criminal was stripped of his clothing. He was bound with outstretched arms to the crossbeam or nailed firmly to it through the wrists. And the crossbeam was then raised high against the upright shaft and was fastened to it about nine to 12 feet off the ground. The feet were then tied or nailed to the upright and over the criminal's head was placed a notice stating his name and his crime. Death ultimately occurred through a combination of constrained blood circulation, organ failure, and asphyxiation as the body strained under its own weight. Take up your cross. (laughs) He's not speaking to us of an unsaved relative. He's not speaking to us of a physical handicap or an incurable disease. What Jesus is saying is that we've got to be willing to endure the same kind of shame, embarrassment, rejection, persecution, and potentially even death that he faced on our behalf. But that's going to look different for everyone. It's not going to look the same. 
The Cost of Discipleship is an incredible book written by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And if you haven't read it, I would encourage you to read it. It will get even more into detail of what we're talking about this morning and really challenge uh, the way that we live and, and how Christ calls us to live. But he says this, Jesus says that every Christian has his own cross waiting for him, a cross destined and appointed by God. Each must endure his allotted share of suffering and rejection, but each has a different share. Some God deems worthy of the highest form of suffering and gives them the grace of martyrdom, while others he doesn't allow to be tempted above that which they are able to bear. But it is the one and the same cross in every case. So it might not look like the thousands that are killed every year in our world for their faith. It might not look like that. It may not look like being thrown in prison for what you believe and what you might preach. But I'll tell you this, the world that we live in, uh, it may not be long. In December, two months ago, in the Netherlands, a group of 250 pastors signed a translation of what's called the Nashville Statement, which is, uh, think of it like the, the, the 95 Theses, okay? It's like, this is what we believe. And it's uh, evangelical churches. Here's what we believe in. And there's a translation. These 250 pastors signed this. It's an instructive document. It's nothing political about it. It's nothing like that. It's just, as a church, here's what we stand on. Here's what we believe And among other things, in this, the pastors affirmed their agreement with the biblical definition of marriage and gender. And Dutch News reported that the prosecution service is examining whether the Nashville statement on marriage and sexuality breaches the law after a recent Dutch translation was condemned by equality organizations. (laughs) Telling you, man, prosecutors, here's what it says, prosecutors are examining the statement to see if there is any basis for a criminal investigation. This is Western civilization. This is Europe. This is two months ago and still ongoing that we believe the Bible says this. Okay, we're going to take a look at what the Bible says and see if there's any grounds for arresting you and having a trial against what you're preaching. If that doesn't sound like persecution for what you are claiming to believe, that's real. That's now. And that's not in some far off land that we tend to think of when we think of persecution. That is, that's close to home. And I don't think it's gonna be long before we're faced with similar things in America. I just don't. The way the world is going, the way that they're becoming more hostile to God every day, persecution could look a lot different for us sometime in the near future. We need to be willing to take up our cross. Taking up our cross involves the will. We have to, to say yes to the difficult things that Jesus calls us to. So what, is, what could that look like for, for us? Well, one of the biggest ways that we carry our cross here in, in our culture is by sharing the gospel. That's one of the biggest ways that we carry our cross. Why? Because we are putting ourselves out there in the face of potential persecution, potential rejection. Someone makes fun of us. Someone mocks us for what we believe. And so then we are, we are associating with Christ as he was mocked and rejected. We don't want to face that though, right? We don't want the hard things. We want the easy Christian life. We want things to just all be good all the time and Jesus just kind of help me out and I don't want to do the hard things for you because that's stressful and that gives me anxiety and, and I just, I can't do that. It's, it's too difficult. It's too difficult. Yeah, Jesus, you did all that for me, but I can't do that for you. We're blessed in the face of persecution. We're blessed, Matthew 5 says. We should want to be persecuted. You know why? Because that means we're sharing our faith. (laughs) We shouldn't go, ah, I don't want to be persecuted. 
Paul says, no, you, you want to be and you should expect it if you're living the way that Jesus wants you to live. We're blessed in the face of persecution. That's a cross that we should bear. So are we willing, are we willing to suffer the same kind of things that Jesus suffered for the sake of the gospel? Are we willing to put ourselves out there? Are we willing to, to stand up for what we believe, to speak for those who can't speak for themselves, to, to stand up for the oppressed, to, to seek justice for those that can't seek for themselves? If it came down to it, are we willing to, to be beaten, to be shamed, to, to be mocked, to be rejected? I don't know. Are we willing to die for the sake of the gospel? Are we willing to do that? It doesn't mean that we will but we, are we willing to go to that extent for the sake of Christ and the gospel, the one who gave up his life so we could have freedom from our sins and have relationship with God? Are we willing for him to face the same things? We bear our cross. So when we begin to deny ourselves, when we show a willingness to carry our cross, then Jesus says, then you can truly follow me. It's not follow me and then one day deny yourself and bear your cross. It's deny yourself, bear your cross, and then follow me. It's, it's a requirement to follow him as a disciple, not to be saved, but to live in the footsteps of Christ and to follow the way that he wants us to, to live is you gotta do these things. If you want to be a true disciple like Jesus is calling us to be. So number three, he says to follow me. So the third point is follow me. My kids love, they love playing follow the leader. And it's just, it's so pointless. I don't, I've never understood why that's so fun for kids. Like, hey, I'm just going to walk around the house and just follow me wherever I go. Like, I'm going to walk up the steps, just walk up the steps behind me. I'm going to walk through the living room, just, just walk, just follow me. And they're like, this is the best game ever. I'm like, why? It's so pointless. Um, but of course, you make it fun and you get up on the couch and you roll around and you like fall dramatically and see if they'll follow you doing that. But the whole point of the game is that you do what I do, right? You, you obey, in a way, the things that I'm doing. You follow me. And they just, they think it's hilarious. So to follow Jesus means that we are obedient to him. To be obedient means that we know what Jesus said and we do those things. So if Jesus is saying, deny yourself, take up your cross, to be obedient to him would then mean that we deny ourselves and we take up our cross. That's following him. That's being obedient to him. You guys remember those WWJD bracelets from the 90s? You know, they're kind of making a comeback. Where's, I saw Allison. Yeah, you got one on right now? I know you got one. They're making a comeback. I tell the kids all the time, they probably, I don't know if they're annoyed by it, but like nothing they do is original. <laughs> Not like, hey, check this style out. I'm like, yeah, that was in the 90s and the 60s, so cool. But WWG bracelet, they're, they're making a comeback, right? What would Jesus do? I think if we think about it more like what did Jesus do, that might serve us a little better because it's great to think like, okay, I'm in this situation. What would Jesus do in this situation? That's great. We, we want to have the mind of Christ. We want to know how to respond as Jesus would respond. But if we look at obedience and say, well, what, what did he do? Where did he go? Who did he associate with? Who did he pursue? What did he do? Then we can look at it and go, if he did this, if he said this, then for me to be obedient and follow him is for me to do these things and to say these things. That's following Jesus. But I think the big question you ask yourself is, well, why would I do that? Why would I 
deny myself. I love material things. I love having fun gadgets. I love, you know, living in this kind of a house. God blesses, gives some money, and you live in houses that are, that are big, and that's great, and you drive nice cars, that's great. But when your identity and when you pursue those things for selfish reasons, then you're not following Christ. And so, so you say, okay, am I going to, am I going to, um, am I going to deny self? Am, am I going to, am I going to bear a cross? Why would I do those things? That seems so hard. Well, I think the first small little reason is because he died on a cross for every one of us. So I think the least that we could do is try and love him above all else, to pursue him, to model our lives after him. I think that's one of the smaller things we could offer up maybe because of what he's done. That's a reason, I think. And then we have a few other reasons in Mark chapter eight, verse 35, 36, and 37 give us a couple Verse 35 says, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So you want to save your life, then you need to lose your life. In other words, give up everything, self-denial, then you can have life. That's salvation. Give this up to follow Christ because of what he did. So salvation is a big reason why we do that. Verse 36 and 37 It says, um, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? In other words, if you monetarily owned everything in the whole entire world, it was all under your possession, like your name was on the, the title for like every material thing on planet earth, every penny Every, every whatever dollar, every trillion, I don't even know how much, how much money's out there, but if you owned all of it, Jesus is saying you could have all that and it still pales in comparison to how much your soul is worth, which is why I died for it. So you can pursue all these things. You can try to gather up all these things, but that's, that's just, it's not important compared to your soul, compared to what's gonna happen to you eternally. And so, That's a reason we should try to live for Christ because our souls are at stake. And then we're left with a warning. And this is kind of a tough warning to think about. Verse 38 says, Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. When I was growing up, I... I sought so often the approval of people and especially cared about the approval of my dad. And when he was seemingly embarrassed or ashamed of me, uh, that hurt. It's like a dagger and it still kind of is. Thinking about those, those times, I can't imagine entering into the presence of Jesus and having him turn his back in shame. It's not the response I want to get. But he says, if you're ashamed of me while you walk on this earth, then I'll be ashamed of you too. That's pretty tough. Because we live in a day when most Christians just want this domesticated, like Jesus on the shelf kind of Jesus. And we want him to do for us, right? We want him to bless us. We want him to give us things. We want him to satisfy us. We want him to to strengthen us. And it's all about what can Jesus do for me and once I get my, my fix and I get kind of what I need from him, then I'm going to put him back on the shelf and I'm just going to kind of live my life. And um, we, need, we need the real genuine Jesus to invade and um, 
It's the one that demands us to deny. It's the one that demands us to carry. It's the one that demands us to follow him in that way. That's the Jesus we need in our lives, not the one that we try to fashion and form into what we think he should be. Next week, we begin a series through the book of John for a couple of months, and I'm excited about that because the whole point is to look at the words of Jesus and the way that he lived. And so my hope in that study is that as a church, we see as, as what Jesus calls us to hear, we will buy more and more into that and it'll become more and more true in our lives as we see how he lived, what he said, what he did. When we get to know Jesus better, then it helps us to, um, to live out these, these things better in our lives. And so I hope that through that, that study, we'll, we'll come to love, love him more and come to appreciate him more. And so we'll want to even more so die to self and carry our cross. He's so worth it. He is so worth it. Singing these songs, man. I love, I love worship music. I love singing. I love the, the words behind it. For me, it's one of my greatest modes of, like, like of actual worship. But some of these songs we sing about Jesus and conquering, we're going to sing a song about just conquering the, the grave and, and freeing us from sin, and I'm not a slave anymore. And like, the, the lyrics are great. Why? Because he's so worth it. He's, he's done so much for us, and he's so, he's so worth us complete, completely cutting ties with our old self. He's so uh, worth us denying ourselves. He's, he's so um, worth us placing his priorities above everything else, above our own priorities. He's, he's worth us willing to face rejection to share the gospel. He's worth us um, being willing to be mocked, to be made fun of, to, to be hurt or, I don't know, maybe killed. Uh, he's worth it if that ever comes to be for any of us. He's worth it to, to go and, and do what he calls us to do because of what he has done for us. He's, he's so worth it, worth us saying yes to following him no matter where it might take us, what it might require of us, what it might cost us, what we might have to give up to truly follow him. He's so worth it. He says, deny yourself, carry your cross, and follow me. Do as I did. Say what I said. I want to be a person, and I want us to be a church that is so just radically sold out for Jesus and his gospel that we are known for being all about him and for pursuing the world with the gospel and we share stories of how we were persecuted because of that. <laughs> that would be awesome. Like, that doesn't sound awesome. Like, it would be awesome, man. If we could share those stories. Ah. So let me pray. God, thanks for today. Uh, thanks for your word. Thanks for truth. Thank you for um, the call to be a true disciple. And while it doesn't often sound like what we want it to sound like, well, it doesn't often sound easy. It's not meant to be easy. You didn't call us to an easy way of living. You called us to a difficult path. Taking the gospel to the ends of the world is a difficult thing to do. Going where we might be shamed or rejected or mocked or hurt or killed is not an easy thing. But yet we should love you so much that it doesn't mean we all go to the far reaches of the earth, but it means that we're all willing to do that for the sake of you, for your gospel, and for your glory. So God, even in just the smallest way, maybe this morning, challenge us all, myself included, to just pursue you better and deny ourselves more and, and carry our crosses with, with more strength from your spirit as we leave these doors. God, we love you so much, and we just want to be all about you. So give us a great time as we finish singing worship. Uh, to you. We love you in your son's name. Amen.